0: Welcome back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Today we continue our special week of coverage about the life and legacy of the champ, the king of the world, Muhammad Ali. We're going to look at the issue of faith and Muhammad Ali's Islamic religion and politics.
1: So i choose to follow the islamic path because i've never saw so much love i never saw so many people hugging each other kissing each other praying five times a day the women in the long garments the way they would eat you can go to any country and say assalamu alaikum as-salam." you got a home you got a brother i chose the islamic path because it connected me as a christian in america i couldn't go to the white churches uh, as a christian uh, that was for those people. It did them good. It didn't do me good. But for me, being a world figure, John taking the name Muhammad Ali, which is the name of my people for the Brother of America, accepting the Islamic religion, it was better for me. <music>
0: First, we're going to have social activist and sports writer Shireen Ahmed. And we're going to speak to Baltimore based poet, author of Black Seeds, and the person who started the No Justice, No LeBron hashtag, Tariq Ture. We are here talking with sports activist and journalist Shireen Ahmed. Shireen, what did Ali mean to you as somebody who believes in the intersection of sports and social justice?
2: Well, for me, I identify as Muslim, and for me, Muhammad Ali was the first celebrity in North America, people say America, but that means all of North America, pretty much, who was so unabashedly and unapologetically Muslim. He was a black Muslim, and that also meant so much that so many people looked to him to lead in terms of of how to speak out, how to confront, how to use words to challenge. I mean, he was an athlete. He was super powerful and super strong, but he used his mind and he used his voice and he used his actions to teach. Like he was a teacher. One of the greatest things he did was was teach about how to conduct yourself, how to not step back. And for me, that was incredibly profound.
0: Now, um, you, you mentioned that you, you were Muslim. Uh, can you speak a little bit about Muhammad Ali's place in the Muslim community. I know you're in Toronto. Uh, Mosques have been having open prayers uh, here in the United States since his death. What was his place? What was his stature in the broader Muslim community? And and how did his early years in the Nation of Islam either complicate or accentuate his stature?
2: Well, I mean, a lot of people generally have this incredible interest. I mean, he was one of the first intersections of sports and politics and racial justice that I know of, and religion. So uh, he started off in the nation of Islam, and like Malcolm X before him, he was influenced and came to Sunni mainstream Islam, or what is known as mainstream Islam. Now, on his death, I've seen everybody from athletes to parents, to my father particularly, who's a 72 here up. I've seen Islamic scholars. I was listening to a podcast last night and one of the, one of the speakers couldn't you know, contain his sadness and just talked about what a great figure for Muslims he was. Now, Muhammad Ali's role within the Muslim community was even more important because he was a black Muslim. And there have been conversations and I've been listening to people talk about how there's this whitewashing or obfuscation of his Muslimness. He was a black Muslim, full stop. Those two identities were central, particularly in a community where there is tremendous amount of anti-Black sentiment within the Muslim community. So it's really important to check ourselves and not to put him on a pedestal without even checking our own biases and our own behavior. And he spoke out against that. He spoke out against racism of forms, about prejudice. He spoke out against oppression. And this is really important, even within the Muslim context, how much he meant to the Muslim community and outside of it. I mean, so many people are so sad. This is just an incredible, heartbreaking loss for humanity.
0: Let me ask you about that as well, because it is a heartbreaking loss. But there's a part of me that's been surprised by the intensity of the morning, given that he has been sick for so long and has also been communicating for so many years that he was preparing himself for his next stage for after his passing. And it's hard to imagine anyone in public life, it's just yet another time where he's trying to teach us, who seemed so at peace with the idea of leaving this mortal coil and going to the next and yet the mourning so intense. What, why, what do you think is, is behind that?
2: I mean, the only thing that I can think of that's similar is when Madiba died. When Nelson Mandela died. The world sort of stopped because it was this, his actual physical presence. was a reminder, and you're absolutely right. He was sick for so long. I remember when he let the flame in Atlanta, I know a lot of people didn't know how unwell he was or how much he had been struggling with Parkinson's. And I think we always want to remember him as being young and, you know, virile and strong and fit. And he carried on emotionally, mentally that way for a very long time, but physically, no, you know, he, he was fighting an illness and a very severe illness. And the way that people are mourning is because of exactly how much he meant to everyone. He taught so many people different things, whether it was about speaking about anti-oppression, whether it was speaking about anti-blackness, whether it was about speaking about racial inequality, he, would remind people what the history of the United States really was. He had conversations that made people uncomfortable because in the world of sport, there is no conversation like a conversation about race that still makes people uncomfortable. And you see that in mainstream media. You see the whitewashing, the sentence of, oh, he transcends race. I find that so offensive. I'm a person of color. I'm not black, but I still find it offensive. He didn't transcend race. He was black. You can't do anything about that. He didn't transcend religion. He was a black Muslim full stop. And people that try to use that phrase, it's enraging because it's disrespectful and it's violent. It's taking away his identity that he fought so hard for to remind people of.
0: I knew this whitewashing was coming. It's been going on for 25 years with Muhammad Ali. He's been whitewashed for so long and his inability to speak has meant he's had an inability to defend himself. And that's been one of the the great tragedies of this last chapter of his life, to see him unable to speak, unable to control where he goes and to see a warmonger like George W. Bush hang a medal around his neck. I mean, that's monstrous and it's, it's a, it's, it's a monstrous rebuke of, I believe the very ideas that were going on inside his head, really just a prisoner of his own body. But the thing I wanted to ask you is as much of the whitewashing as I'm seeing I also feel like if he had, God forbid, passed 10 years ago, it would have been worse. Because there's something about both the existence of the Black Lives Matter movement as well as the existence of social media where you see this stuff getting pushed back. And I'm actually seeing a lot of very good coverage of the radical side of him. Are you seeing that too?
2: I am. I've seen.
0: Or more than we might have expected without movements and social media?
2: So I think social media is huge for any movement. I mean, I would have loved if he had Twitter 25 years ago. That imagine? would have been great. Oh my <laughs> like God. It, would have been, it would have been epic. And I saw this really interesting tweet, and I can't remember who it's from. Someone had sort of copied it and pasted it, and it said, don't judge your leaders by their eulogies for Muhammad Ali. Judge him by how they would have treated his 20-year-old self.
3: Oh, wow. And
2: that that hit me because I'm like, First of all, you know, I'm going to say it. Bill Clinton giving his eulogy, I just cannot, like, I don't understand what's happening there with like so much respect. And that love to Muhammad Ali's family. It's their choice. And I respect that. But I don't have to respect Clinton. I don't. I mean, this is a man, he's speaking at Muhammad Ali's funeral. And Muhammad Ali was someone who was completely anti-oppressive, was super close to Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela has said Muhammad Ali had provided him the thought and the hope that one day things would change. You know, that smile that Nazira had, that when he was around Muhammad Ali, it was beautiful. It's like etched into my memory. And they would sort of spar jokingly. It was beautiful. And this is also men that shared this very similar ideologies. They spoke openly about uh, Israeli oppression of Palestinians.
0: I want to, let's say that again, because I want to underline this, because I think this is, one of the whitewash things that's going on right now. Muhammad Ali explicitly believed in a free Palestine.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's not a popular thing. And people don't want to take all of who Muhammad Ali is because, like I said, it makes people uncomfortable. They don't want to talk about oppression of Palestinians. Muhammad Ali visited Palestinian refugees. He yeah. spoke with them. He was there. He understood what it meant. He didn't tolerate oppression of that kind from anyone, and he spoke about it. Just what we see in media is what outlets choose to cover. It's not all of who he is, and thank God for social media, for those pictures being shared, for those stories being shared, for those snippets of history being shared, because that's who he was, and I think it's so important to keep that in mind when we're talking about him, that this incredible Black man was the greatest, and it's very uncomfortable for particularly the predominantly white, cisgendered male sports media to talk about how he was black, he was Muslim, and he was the best. And he spoke about racial injustice and oppression. That those things all together, they might say, oh, well, he was the best athlete. Who Muhammad Ali was outside of the ring was as prolific and intense as who he was inside.
0: Mm. LeBron James even took that an extra step and he said, he's the greatest of all time and it has zero to do with his accomplishments inside the ring. That to me is just shows that they can't kill Muhammad Ali. You know, I mean, when I say kill Muhammad Ali, I mean the actual radical substance of who he was because if you kill it, then you can't explain why he still inspires so many people. You can't explain. You can't explain it without understanding that he stood up to the U.S. government and won, mm-hmm. and that's the that's the root of all of it, of everything we're talking about. It's like he stood up and won because he was brave, and that that's the one thing they can't take away. I did want. We're talking about Palestine and Ali, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask your opinion about this. I don't know if you saw the editorial in Haaretz about uh, Ali's death, but it was. Comical, if not maddening. Did you see this? It was it, no. It was, I haven't
2: read. <laughs> to be honest with you, the last place I was going to go.
0: With. <laughs> I no. You're not a big hot reader. <laughs> oh no! It was sent to me in in my um. Whatever. It was sent to me by people who were like, "Dude, you got to see this. You'll know what's wrong with this in two seconds." The headline was Muhammad Ali's uneasy relationship with the Jews, and I read the article, and it was an unbelievable article because the article starts by pointing out something that is true. Two things that are absolutely true. The first is that Muhammad Ali counted Jewish people among his closest friends. That's an absolute fact. And yeah. then the second part was Muhammad Ali said all these horrible things about Israel. Therefore, he was a little bit of an anti-Semite and a little bit of somebody who loved us. And I was like, my God, you are using his death to conflate Zionism and Judaism, Like it's, yeah, yeah, which is what yeah. racists do. I mean, yeah. this is what, yeah. that's the one thing that Netanyahu and Nazis have in common is they want the utter conflation of Judaism and Zionism. And here's like, yeah. oh, within, within literally hours of Ali's passing, they are front and center with, yeah, he may have had Jewish friends, but he hated Israel. So let's not celebrate this guy too much. And I'm just yeah. like, wait, love Jews, not a fan of Israel. Jeez, that, that's just another reason for me to love Muhammad Ali.
2: No, exactly. And this is what we'll look at when we talk about the Obfuscation of who he was was. Let's take this opportunity to politically motivate. Same thing. I mean, it's part of this Zionist media machine. Quite frankly, I have very close friends that are choose You know, I love them and they love me, and there's an understanding. But they don't subscribe to the ideology of Zionism, and I think to do this is really it's really horrible. And the timing is
0: atrocious. It was the timing that really struck me. I, I was like, "Get a load of the balls on Haaretz." It was like I had no, my Tony it, Soprano you response. Don't,
2: you don't do that, because what he was talking about is Muhammad Ali loved people, but he hated oppression. Yes. And this is exactly it. <laughs> he loved kids. He loved people. He loved engaging. He ran to the side of someone who was about to jump off a ledge. That story is circulating madly now. Yeah,
0: and- the, the saving the person from suicide is one of the many clips that have emerged that I, I had never seen that just has yeah. blown my mind.
3: From a ledge nine floors above Wilshire Boulevard, the hooded man shouted, I'm no good. I'm going to jump. The Viet Cong are coming at me. Police, a psychologist, and a minister had all but given up trying to change the despondent man's mind when Muhammad Ali, who happened to be nearby, volunteered to talk to him. The former heavyweight champion went to a window and reportedly yelled, I'm your brother. I want to help you. Recognizing Ali, the man finally opened the fire escape door and Ali approached him on the ledge. It was a very tense 20 minutes. Several times it looked as though Ali was going to fail. Then, suddenly, it was all over. The man, Ali said later, began to weep. He was taken to the psychiatric ward of a veteran's hospital. The former champ promised to visit him there later this week. Terry Drinkwater, CBS News, Los Angeles.
2: He didn't ask the religion or the race of the person before he went to help them. He just went to help them, and that's so much of who he was was helping. And then the clips—I just saw a recent one of him surprising children in the classroom.
1: If I ever met Muhammad Ali, um, I tell him uh, my sister's a real big fan of yours, and we always uh, she always pretends that she's Muhammad Ali, and she she really likes him a lot. And, and I tell him, uh, I tell him, I wish he. <laughs> I'm Muhammad Ali. What you going to tell me now, boy.
3: Uh
1: You You are a Muhammad Ali. You wanna meet my sister?
2: Is was wonderful, and how he used to had this wonderful relationship with children, and he used to challenge them to be better, and it's so much of who he was. And getting back to the Horacex article, I think it's it's disrespectful. It completely muddled the issue, for one thing, and it's something that he would have actually, had he had the opportunity, when this full capacity and, and ability, he would have called that out. like Part of me is wondering, as I read these tweets, and I've been reading a lot about him, people's thoughts and reflections of him, which are also really beautiful and important, what would he think about them? Like, I mean, you know, with somebody saying that he transcended race, you know, sit down. Who was that? I can't even remember who it was. Chris Chris, Myers. Chris Myers, exactly. Sit down. Fox News. No, he was black. He was Muslim. Accept it. He didn't transcend anything except his greatness through every sphere of the universe. Wow. But just... Stop with that. And it's what is happening as you asked about people mourning. This is a way people to kind of get their hand in the jar. Mm-hmm. Let me get a piece of Ali. Let me you can't get a piece of Ali. You get all but you get nothing.
0: Exactly. Exactly. One last question for you, Shireen. Your personal opinion. It ain't the nineteen sixties. There's no Vietnam War, there's no draft, it's a different time. How would you advise an athlete? Who came to you and said, I want to walk in the footsteps of Muhammad Ali?
2: Well, that question was so deep, and those are big footprints to fill in. And he's shown the way how to do it is to speak the truth. He outed and he talked about imperialist powers, he talked about the American war machine he said, I refuse to participate and further victimize and marginalize people that have nothing against me. So fast forward to 2016. People in villages in Yemen and Somalia, why do they need to be droned? Why do I have to support this? He doesn't. I mean, some of Hillary Clinton's policies, foreign policies that when she was Secretary of State are atrocious, which is also a reason I find the fact her husband's given the eulogy like, nauseating. But so the reality is, speak up about it. Call it out. It doesn't have to be specifically the Viet Cong. It can be any instance of oppression. It can be any instance of injustice. Stand up and talk about it. He didn't want to flee and come to Canada as a draft dodger. He said, this is my country. I'm going to stay here. I'm black. I'm proud. I'm Muslim. I'm proud. Be proud of who you are and stand up and say it. I mean, he backed it up with his greatness and being the best in the world at boxing, but he backed it up with his character. He backed it up with his actions. He did it. So, speak the truth. Be firm. Be loud. Be clear. I mean, that's not easy, but... It can be
3: done.
0: He taught us it can be done. Wow, Sharina Med, thank you so much for joining us on this incredibly sad day, but incredibly politically important today as we attempt to really rescue the radical history of Muhammad Ali. Thank you.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Dave.
0: Thank you, Shireen. And now we speak to Tariq Ture. What does Muhammad Ali mean to you? Broad sense. You think Muhammad Ali, what are you thinking about?
4: I just think of black Muslim excellence. I think of the ability to be masculine when need be. I think the ability to love appropriately and not have to feel ashamed about it just because of how delicate he was at times and at the same time how strong he could be all you know all in the same mix for me that's you know that's what kind of takes me aback when I think about the legacy of Muhammad Ali I think about a person to me who could be everything he could he could get in a ring with you and knock you completely out and then uh he would play with the same guy's children that he just knocked out earlier that night you know and be bouncing them on his knee and playing card games with them. So he was, you know, it it was a strange dichotomy um, that he had with him. And I think it was much needed because stereotypes that come about from black men were either pictured as, you know, weak or overly masculine or hyper masculine. Mm -hmm. And he kind of like shattered everything. And also, you know, I'm Muslim myself. So, you know, as a black Muslim, he made it seem as if it was totally okay and say, you know what, not only is my religion going to propel me to be against the things that you all stand for, but also my stances, my history as being a black man
0: in this country. Um, um, it's beautiful. No, no, it is beautiful. What kind of impact did you see his very existence have um, in your community, like as a Muslim, as a famous boxer? And has that changed at all in recent years as he's been less able to speak and communicate his ideas, his politics, et cetera?
4: So I come from like a neighborhood where literally, if a kid is like nice at basketball or nice at football, he's immediately put on a pedestal. And it's like, look, whatever happens, we got to make sure this kid gets out. Um, To also, right, to, to have him kind of go silent, it's a, you know, no longer really have that voice uh, on a global scale, that is telling kids, "Hey, you have a larger responsibility." Muhammad Ali's politics were all about the people where he came from and the people living in his condition, living in a condition that he once was in, and it's a little bit different than now. Where, I mean, of course, you know, you have I'm I'm always attached now uh, in the media to uh, you know what happened with the campaign for No Justice, No LeBron, and The immediate retort is, you know, LeBron has to feed his family.
0: Well, hold on. But before you go there, Tarek, uh, just because some of my listeners may not be familiar, I, of course, very familiar with it. Talk a little bit about what No Justice, No LeBron was. uh, Basic explanation for it. And then let's talk about how you see Ali's life and death as an influence on that campaign and some of the responses and backlash that you received.
4: No Justice No LeBron was a Twitter campaign that I started to to really get people around rallying for LeBron to actually sit out for however many number of games that he would feel comfortable with after the non-indictment of the officers who killed 12-year-old Tamir Rice. And, um, you know, I think it went on for, you know, a few weeks, maybe a month or something of that nature. But LeBron himself said he didn't have much information on the subject. And uh, there was no ever, you know, NBA sit-out. I think, you know, with Muhammad Ali passing away, I recall the the legacies of Paul Robeson and Muhammad Ali when I think about myself as a former athlete and also getting involved in in social justice advocacy because Paul Robeson risked it all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We didn't have to. Nobody's saying they did. They had to. Muhammad Ali risked it all phenomenal talents. I mean, they could have picked up anything, baseball, pitching quarters. It didn't matter. They were just that great at everything that they did, but they decided to be great at activism. And I think that's like real noble. And I think that's a trait that we don't attribute to our athletes now in, in the radical sense of that way. You know, we have a lot of uh, athletes who participate in philanthropy and that's beautiful. But as far as taking radical political stances, it's far-fetched for you to find the top guy
0: who's going to actually do that. Mm. No, and, and that's true. And I, I've seen and we've talked a lot about the way LeBron has wrestled with this position of knowing Muhammad Ali's history. And I don't know if you saw LeBron's comments yesterday, but they were filled with him saying like Ali's legacy is outside the ring, not inside the ring. It was because he stood up. I mean, he is more conversant in Ali's legacy than most athletes are not. And right. I, th- I think that creates its own burden on him because it's this idea right. of like, okay, are you going to take the weight or not? Especially when he has at different times asked to be seen as somebody who could necessarily take that weight.
4: Right. I'm not, you know, anywhere near him. So this is literally all, you know, my thought. It could be that he's thinking, you know, maybe. Philanthropy is a different mechanism to solving the social ills that, you know, our former athletes who have got into activism have participated in. You could be thinking in that manner. So I don't want to take in, you take that away from it, but there's almost no really substitution for the type of radical activism like a Muhammad Ali or Paul Robeson participated in. There's
0: mm-hmm. really
4: no substitute for the symbolism of that.
0: So any any lasting thoughts that you have about his legacy, particularly as a poet? How does Ali inform you as a poet, as a political poet, as a black Muslim poet? Do you feel strength from him in that regard as well?
4: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that if you want to check the temperature of a certain era, if you want to discover the emotions and empathize with a certain era, then you go to the poet. So he, he, he embodied an era in the ring and, you know, with his mouth. You know, I, you know I'm not sure. I was like, man, he must have a ghostwriter. <laughs> 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 but to think, you know, he's putting together these heavy, heavy concepts. I, you know, I posted the video when he did that poem about the prisoners dying at, at the gun.
1: He said, better far from all I see to die fighting to be free. What more fitting in could be? Better surely than in some bed where in broken health I'm led, lingering until I'm dead. Better than with prayers and pleas are in the clutch of some disease, wasting slowly by degrees. Better than of heart attack or some dose of drug I lack. Let me die by being black. Better far that I should go Standing here against the foe Is the sweeter death to know Better than the bloody stain On some highway where I'm lain Torn by flying glass and pain Better call in death to come Than to die another dumb Muted victim in the slum Better than of this prison rot If there's any choice I've got kill me here on the spot. Better far my fight to wage, now while my blood boils with rage, lest it cool with ancient age. Better violent for us to die than to uncle, tom and try, making peace just to live a lie. Better now that I say my sooth, I'm gonna die demanding truth, while I'm still akin to youth. Better now than later on, now that fear of death is gone, never mind another dawn. They opened fire on him, but they died telling it like it was. And to think
4: that he's going to take time away from boxing and tearing his body, because I know that's a, that's a 24-hour-a-day job to, I'm going to put together... Some, you know, some some stanzas that are going to be pivotal. You can look back on his poems now. You know, even the playful ones, they're pivotal because he's selling fights. He's selling a political agenda. He's selling religion. Mm. He, you know, he, he's putting out concepts where literally a child could grasp it, or you know, a, a Harvard professor. It doesn't matter. And I think that for him to put poetry on that stage people like me i mean you know the the road is paved now i mean it's it's easy but before then you know have a big black guy who beats up people you know do poetry
3: Mm -hmm. talking about
4: floating like a butterfly and stinging like a bee Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, (laughs) you know it's, it's just different he put you in an awkward place like prince he put people in a very awkward place like i don't know how to come at this guy and it just proves that you shouldn't be trying to put
0: anybody where you want them to be Exactly. And and there's this line, uh, academic Gerald Early said about Ali, where he said, I think Early is quoting James Baldwin, who said, America is devoted to the death of the paradox. And Muhammad Muhammad Ali is somebody who resisted that. Mm -hmm. He was a resistance Mm -hmm. to the idea that you couldn't be a paradox. And that goes right, to what you were talking right. about at the start of this interview like this idea of like you could be a boxer but you could also be somebody who's affectionate with children. You know, you don't have right. to be this one type just because that's what people expect of you. And that's one of my favorite Ali quotes. He said, "I don't have to be who you want me to be." Just beautiful.
4: You right. right. I think about Cam Newton. Somebody asked me you know, could KD or or Cam Newton fall in that light? And I thought, you know, maybe more Cam Newton has more of that you know that likability or that it factor with people. Mm-hmm. And um, but you know, I, I said to myself, they got to win. So we don't want to disassociate, you know, his hand from all of this. He was an amazing human being. Like that's ninety percent of it. But that ten percent of him putting people's chins on the
3: sidewalk—that's
4: mm-hmm. <laughs> a big he has to win. So if anybody wants to step in that light of him, they got to win and they got to win big. And he was predicting winning and, and ending fights exactly when he said he was going to. So I think, you know, again, that's, that's remarkable that he could even do though. He was blessed to be able to do those things. And everybody was touched by Muhammad. I, I don't care who you are, whether it was negative or positive,
0: and in, in the Islamic community, like you've seen and we've seen the way the Muslim community has been consciously sliced and diced since the global war on terror oh, yeah. has started. And as and uh, is Ali a unifying figure in that regard?
4: Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Even in the masjid that I attend, they're having uh, a janazah, well, janazah is a funeral, you know, in absence, an absentee funeral for him today. Um, wow. I think... You know, he's a unifying force for sure. So great people have, they have pieces. And by pieces, I mean, they have pieces for everybody. You know, that's what makes the great people of our era and in history so magnificent is that anybody can come and get a piece of some type of inspiration from them. And I think for the religious community and especially the Muslim community, in a time like this where you have to decide one or two things, you either hide your Islam or you peacock and, and strut about this religion that has helped you through life and helped shape your lifestyle in a positive way. And I think he was somebody who could have been identified as peacocking to the fullest
3: mm.
4: <laughs> in regards to his, his, you know, his Muslim identity. And um, people, everybody can, can take a piece from that and say, hey, you know what, he stood up for a slam period. You know, he wasn't, he, he wasn't about being a dividing force or being divisive. He understood, I even remember him saying, you know, they don't ask, you know, when they're whipping people upside their head, you know, are you Presbyterian, or are you this, are you that? No, you're black or colored or brown, and people have to suffer from those atrocities. So he even spoke to that, but him just as a symbol, period, yes, everybody, anybody can relate to Ali, because you can take any part of his life and find something, some value in it. <laughs>
0: Tariq, Tariq, man, that that was beautiful, man. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. No problem. That's it for today's show. Thank you so much to Shireen. Thank you so much to to Tariq. Both of them, incredible follows on Twitter. Find them on social media. I see your face in front of me, still grainy from that old black and white TV. My whole family's silent, watching you shape destiny with your two hands. faster than I can see, mesmerizing. Subscribe to Edge of Sports on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, because we are going to be dropping more interviews throughout the week. The last show, we spoke to Bob Lipsight and Kavitha Davidson. It was amazing, and you want to get tomorrow's show. Trust me on that. You can hear all the episodes of the Edge of Sports podcast at edgeofsportspodcast.com. You can follow me on social media at Edge of Sports. You can email the show at edgeofsports at slate.com. Thank you for listening, and love to the champ.
4: Your achievements if I believe From the belly of the beast rising like yeast
0: My release from no self-esteem Came when I saw you rapping on my TV screen float like a butterfly that described my walk to school After fight night I felt so cool Cause I was the greatest too Love a self-born simply out of love for you And I knew someday people would love me too None of the heck I did about my black skin got too I knew to walk barefoot through hell for you It's how I felt back then and I still do So if you accept these humble words of praise And my gratitude for those glorious days And in notorious ways Building a young mind, skills sublime, yours to mine